I'm just going to read from 1 John chapter 2, um, starting at verse 18 and going through to verse 27. Uh, children in the last hour, and uh, children, it is the last hour, and as ye have heard <clears throat> that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out uh, that, that it might become plain that they are all... Uh, that they all are not of us. But ye have been anointed by the Holy One, and ye all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what, you, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to, uh, to you about those who were trying to deceive you, but the anointing, uh, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need uh, that anyone should teach you but uh, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him this is the word of the lord oh dear it's my magnetic personality uh we, like John mentioned, uh, we had uh, a men's uh, weekend retreat away, um, and a couple of things. Firstly, we had this amazing time last night where you had, you don't see this very, very often, but we had a bunch of guys being vulnerable with one another, which is, I think, is a really special thing, because normally we're just like, how's it going? Aye, good, you all right? Aye, good, sweet, we're done. Um, but last night was really powerful time, praying for one another, uh, people sharing struggles, people sharing victories. It was really powerful. But that made me think then that um, if it, for you women, really go to that thing, really, like that thing, go to Remember Hope, because I think it's going to be a really powerful day. I don't know why. I've just been thinking about that for a while. I think that it's going to be very special for, uh, for the women. I think God wants to do something there. But also, I think there's chat of uh, Women's Weekend coming up maybe next year. Um, so look out for that as well in the spring sometime, um, and that'll be great, and you can all get away and have extended time doing that, and I think that'll be class, so um, uh, Haley and, and Rachel and some of the other women are organizing that. Um, so if, you, if you've never been here before, I think most of you have, if you haven't, you're welcome. I don't know why everyone's sitting on one side, what's that all about? Like, I feel like we're going to tip over, the room's going to tip over, uh, but you're really, really welcome. Um, what we do in this church is... Um, we're a Bible-believing church, so we read the Bible. 
We believe it's God's word. We believe that, and that means that it's God speaking to us. And so we read it. We, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is made up of 66 different books, which really reveal how, how God has, has, has worked in the world from the beginning of, of time uh, right through to the end of time. Um, and today we're kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, and we're going to talk about how uh, we're almost at the end of time, <laughs> uh, but we're still in the middle of time. Um, so we're in this book of 1 John. John is, uh, John was an apostle. I wonder, is he still? I guess he still is. Right? He's still an apostle. Uh, so he was, he, was a, like, he was one of the guys that was best friends with Jesus. Imagine being Jesus' best friend. Imagine, you know, actually uh, having, having a crack with him and laughing with him and uh, hearing his jokes and I, I, I don't know if he told good or bad jokes, but imagine knowing him on that personal level. And this was John. And by this stage, he's a really old guy. He's like in his 80s. Some people say, some people, I don't know how they know this, but some people believe they lived to be 100 or around 100, which would be a miracle back in those days. But um, he, uh, he knew Jesus personally. He's an old guy, and he's writing to these younger believers because everyone was younger than him, right? So he calls them children. He calls them my beloved. He calls them my little children. And, and I hope by now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you're starting to build up this picture of what's going on. False teachers are all around, and you need to know who Jesus is, and then you need to know who you are in Jesus. That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, these false teachers are all around, and you need to know who Jesus is, and you need to know who you are in Jesus, because that's the only way you're going to be sure of, of what's going on. And so he, he, gives, he gives them these vital signs. That's why we've called this series, I'm doing this, I hope it's on the screen. Uh, yeah. Uh, vital signs, right? Um, these signs that there's actually life in the church. He's saying, these are how you know that you're actually believing the right things in Jesus. So we looked at these things, and I'm going to keep repeating them every week. Uh, right, belief in, right belief in Jesus. Do we believe the right things about Jesus? Do we believe who Jesus actually is, that he was the Son of God, uh, that he was God, took on flesh, that he died for us, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven? Do we believe those things about Jesus? Um, that's how you'll know there's life in the church. Another one is, do we um, have right obedience to God? Are we obeying what God tells us to do? And we saw this last week. For John, it was really, really simple. If you know Jesus, you obey Jesus. When you see Jesus for who he is as Lord, you're going to obey him. And then third one is uh, right love for one another. And, and next week, we're going to get into more of that, that love and one another stuff a bit more heavily. Um, so, so these are the three vital signs that he gives us. This week... What we just heard read as we move on through the letter. By the way, can I just say this at the start? We're going to be in chapter 3 next week. Um, so if you're going to come back next week, which I hope you are, just be reading that. Be reading that this week and, and, and be trying to figure out what's going on and, 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 and maybe read it a few times. Maybe it's going to take two minutes. Just do that once a day for the next seven days and, 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 see, and, we'll, and then we'll be, be better equipped next Sunday. Um, but this week we just heard a lot about the last times and the Antichrist, <laughs> and all this like, crazy stuff. And it seems crazy to us, because when we hear these words, we're like, like, what is going on? Because we've heard so much craziness around these things, and also, everyone's a bit scared of, like, what, what is the Antichrist? Is this, like, some giant that's going to come, and blah, blah. Anyway, my point is, there's something about knowing what time it is that dictates how we live, right? And this is what John's trying to do. So, Finley... Uh, at the minute, he's obsessed with knowing what time it is. He can't, he, he can't tell the time. Like, he doesn't know the numbers mean nothing. But he goes like, Daddy, what time is it? So if you say it's half eight, then he knows it's nearly time for school. Or um, if, if, he, if you say, oh, it's half five or five o'clock, 
then it's nearly tea time. So, so there's something about him knowing what time it is uh, informs him and how he should live and what he should be doing at that particular time, that time of the day. And John seems to think that it's the same for us in the church. He wants them to know that it's the last days. He wants them to know what time it is because when you know what time it is, it informs how you should be living. And that's why I've called this talk uh, Warning and Affirmation, Living in the Last Hour. Warning and Affirmation, Living in the Last Hour. Um, when I was a student, I worked in Marks and Spencer's, the supermarket bit, except it was Marks and Spencer's, so they're too posh to call it a supermarket, so they call it the food hall. Um, and uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't a bad job. I got to sit in the checkouts and pack shelves and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at Christmas, at Christmas, it was especially enjoyable because if you ever want to see middle-class people going buck daft, go to Marks and Spencer's on Christmas Eve. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, it's like a circus. Um, like all the, all the sensibilities of civilized society just disappear, right? People elbowing each other in the face to get the last box. Oh, you know those wee tubs of like caramel bites? Oh, so good. Uh, people like fighting over them, turkeys going everywhere. Um, but this one, this one image sticks out in my head so vividly. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, this poor kid. So this woman, um, she's maybe in her 40s um, and she has a trolley full of stuff. When I say full of stuff like heaped, right? She had two turkeys on top. top. It's Christmas Eve. What are you going to do with two? No, I don't know. Maybe she had forgot. Two turkeys on top. And she's like running to the checkout. Like it's, the store's closing soon. And she runs around the corner and one of the turkeys falls off. And her son, like he's about 14, he, he stopped to, to, to pick it up. And she's like, just leave it. Just leave it. <laughs> it was like something from, uh, it was like something from a war movie. Like nobody turn back. We're going forward. And so I was like, what is going on? Like, this poor kid's like, oh, what do I do? But there's something that, that, but there is something like that in us, right? When we know there's a deadline or we know that time is short, like, Haley, I'll tell you, I hate, I get a wee bit crazy if I think we're going to be late for anything. I, I don't know what it is, something in me. I'm just like, we have to be on time. And I start to go a wee bit mental. Like, there is something in us that when, when, time, when we know time is short, we start to act a wee bit crazy. Um, and I think that Christians have historically done this kind of thing, act a wee bit crazy when we start talking about passages like this that mention the last hour and mention Antichrist. I think that, that there's been a lot of uh, misinformation, shall we say. There's been a lot of false teaching. There's been a lot of um, craziness associated with this. And we need to be really, really careful that when we come to a passage that says, that starts off by saying, uh, it's the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. I mean, yeah, we need to be really careful that what we don't do is, is, is read our own understandings into the text, right? Because what is this book? It is the Word of God. So we need to be really careful that it doesn't become the Word of Andrew or the Word of Rachel, right? It, 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 it needs to be, remain the Word of God. And so we need to park our misconceptions and we need to park all the crazy things that we've heard and seen in films and anything with Nicolas Cage. Let's just leave that to one side for a second. We need to understand this is God's word and so we need to work hard and we need to trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit to understand what he's saying. And the first thing that John says to these, these Christians, these Christians here living in what is now modern day Turkey, it was Asia Minor in those days, 
And he writes to them and he says, verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. So he repeats this idea that it's the last hour. Now, for me, when I read that, the first thing I go is, well, what does that mean, the last hour, right? We need to understand what this means. And John obviously isn't talking about 60 minutes, an actual last hour of time. Um, Whenever we looked at, or whenever we saw Finley asking what time it is, like our lives tend to be governed by time, don't they? So we think in terms of minutes and hours and uh, days and weeks and years, that our lives are just governed by time. That's just how it is. Um, And sometimes they can be too controlled by time, I think. Sometimes we can lean on that too heavily. Um, But that's not the way it is for God, right? God is not governed by time. In fact, God created time. God created God created the, 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 the earth that goes around the, the earth that rotates, that creates the days and, and goes around the, the sun to, to create the years. He created all this stuff. He is outside of time. It's not the same for God. God isn't governed by the passage of time. God has always, this is a hard concept to grasp, but it's true. God has always been and he always will be. So he can see, imagine if time is this table and I was gonna, and I'm God. I'm, I just, just if, if you only listen to that section, but no, imagine that. Like I can see all of time. This is how God is. He exists outside of time, and that's why the Bible says in Second Peter three that with the Lord one day is, a, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. But even in that, when we think, oh, a day and a thousand years, we think we tend to put our own time constraints on that. We think, well, maybe God's just really old, and so if you're really old, a day can probably seem like a thousand years, or maybe he's really big, so a thousand years is like a day. Uh, We put these constraints on him, but the truth is that God is outside of time. He exists outside of time, and so when when John says we're living in the last hour, what he's saying is it's better to think of this in terms of the last era or epoch. It's not, it, 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 it's, not uh, it's more like the act of a play, right? So if you think of the, all of time as, the, as a play, and the play is God's interaction, God's redemptive interaction with his people. We're now in the final act of the play. The curtain's about to come down, and this is where we exist. That's what John's saying. So these, this last star that we exist in, this last act, the Bible tells us, began when Jesus ascended into heaven and it's going to end when he comes back again. We're in these last times, this last hour. Peter refers to it as the last times. Paul refers to it as the last time. John refers to it as the last hour. Probably because that's what Jesus called it too. And the only thing that's left to, left to happen is for Jesus to return physically and visibly and establish his kingdom permanently. That's what's going to happen. Now, if anybody wants to have a nerdy conversation about exactly how and what that'll look like, we'll do that some other time. But what we need to understand right now is what John is saying is Jesus is coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom permanently. And we live in the same time that John was writing to. We live in this era And what John wants to teach these Christians is that living in this requires special instruction. You need to know how to live in this. So he gives them warning and he gives them affirmation. And there's one thing in particular he warns them about. These people he calls antichrists. 
Um, and, and that's our first slide. John says, we're living in the last hour, and the evidence that we're in the last hour is that these false teachers are coming, and these antichrists are coming. Now, just like we saw when we start talking about the last hours, people can get a wee bit crazy when we start talking about the word antichrist, right? You think of all those left behind things. You think of, um, uh, we were watching this video the other day of like uh, a music video about, the, the you know, uh, people, like uh, people's clothes just been left in the street and, um, you know, put someone pushing their kid in the swing and the swing goes up, comes back down, the kid's gone. And he's like, where's my kid? I think we need to be really careful that we don't read our own understanding and our own history into these things. So let's look at what the book is actually saying, right? The word, anybody know what the Greek word for antichrist is? It's antichristos. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. We have a really, lit, antichrist is actually a really literal translation of antichrist. It means against Christ. It means in the place of Christ. And so John is actually the one that coins this phrase. He comes up with this phrase but what he's actually doing is picking up on what Jesus was teaching about these false Christs that will rise up. So um, we're going to read from Matthew 24. And don't, you don't need to turn to it. You can if you want, but it's going to be on the screen. Matthew 24, verses 3 to 5 and verses 23 to 24 for time. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he sits in the Mount, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And further down, verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as, so, as to lead, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. He's saying these people are going to rise up and they're going to try and lead even the church astray. And this is what John is saying. John is saying this is already happening. See, Jesus looks and sees the future and he makes it clear that, um, to, he makes it clear to his disciples that, that people will come and try and steal him away. They'll claim to be the Messiah. There'll be a counterfeit. There'll be a false Jesus. You know why nobody ever uh, makes false two-pound notes? Because two-pound notes don't exist. You only counterfeit something that is real. And this is what deceivers and antichrists and false teachers do. They pretend they have the real thing. They pretend to be the real thing, but they're trying to lead you astray. We were even looking at this uh, at the men's weekend about these false teachers in the church who, who prey on the poorest people in the community and offer them all these blessings if they only give more to the church or fake miracles and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, we need to be careful about them. We need to be careful about these uh, false teachers, these antichrists. But maybe you've heard that word antichrist before, right? And, and I think that uh, growing up, I only ever heard it in that kind of scary, crazy um, kid on the swing kind of way. <laughs> you, you hear him talking about antichrist as singular. Now, if you notice in verse 18, he says, now, uh, he says um, as you have heard. Well, they have heard because by this stage, John has already written the book of Revelation Remember, he's really old. He wrote the book of Revelation, which is God's vision to him about the end times, about, the, about after the end times. And, and he's, so they've already received this. And in that, he's already talked about the Antichrist. So what he's saying is that there will come one person who will be greater than all the other deceivers. This person will come and, and he'll raise up people to, 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 to deceive people and steal people away from the church. 
And there's lots of speculation about who that might be. Um, actually, uh, somebody drew my attention to a website that was claiming that, that it was Angelina Jolie. Don't know how they got that. Seems a bit harsh to me. <laughs> I mean, Tomb Raider wasn't a great film, but that's a bit far. But here's my point. We don't know. We can't know these things. These things are hidden from us. Only God has that knowledge. And when we start getting a bit crazy about the end times and we start getting a bit crazy about the Antichrist, we need to be really, really careful. Here's the point that John is making to his church and here's the point that I'm making to our church this morning. In the last times, the times that we now live in, there will be those that try to counterfeit Jesus, claiming to offer, to offer what only Jesus can offer and lead us astray. And we need to be mindful of this. This is what John is saying this morning. It's that simple. He's saying that in the times that we now live in, here, now, there will be those that try to counterfeit Jesus and lead us astray and tell us lies about Jesus. And we need to be mindful of this. This is what it means for us to live in the last hour. John says, be on your guard, beware. And I think he gives us these three things to help us understand what these antichrists, these, these false teachers are like. These three characteristics. They deny, they deceive, and they depart. Look at verse 19 with us. Um, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that, they, are, that they, all, they all are not of us. He's saying that these false teachers denied who Jesus really is. They deceived others about who Jesus really is. Uh, but, uh, but at one time, they used to be part of the church. They were actually one of us. They were actually among us. They looked like they were believers. Maybe even at some point, they made some kind of profession of faith. They said, yeah, I, I, you know, I believe in Jesus and I'm a Christian. But the point is they had never really received the Holy Spirit. They, had, they were never really what we call regenerate. They were never really made alive in Christ. And so eventually they deceived people and they tricked people and then they left the church. They departed the church. Because how could they stay in the church when they were pretending to be something they're not? And I'm sure maybe if you've been around church for a while that you've seen this happen. You've maybe seen this happen where it seems like, wow, the, you know, they're, they're a Christian person and eventually they just can't go on in the church because they're not really in Jesus. I know I've seen that. And listen, I want to make something really clear at this point. What John's talking about here isn't non-believers. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is, not, this is not about you. We're glad that you're here. If you want to come and test the claims that Jesus is making about himself or that we're making about Jesus, this is the place to do it. Do it. Test away. If you're trying to figure out if, you're trying to figure out if Christianity is real or not, then that's great. Do it. We want you to be here. We want you to be involved in that. And the other thing, he's not talking about Christians who are struggling in their faith. This isn't people that were like, I'm a Christian, but I'm actually having doubts at the minute. That's not what he's talking about. If you're having doubts, this is the right place for you to be in. Just last week, we talked about the importance of spiritual honesty and authenticity and being open about where we're at. This is the place for you. This is, nobody's, I'm not saying you're an antichrist. Don't hear that at all. But what does it mean? Because it's clear that there are antichrists. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. See, these false teachers denied that Jesus really was God. This is what characterized them. They denied who Jesus was. 
So that we remember we looked at this, we've, looked, we've seen it kind of the last couple of weeks, this false teaching that was going around. There were two parts to it. Firstly, some of them were teaching that uh, the man Jesus wasn't really God. So they had this idea that maybe he would receive some anointing from God at his baptism, and then when he died on the cross, that anointing was taken away. He wasn't really God. He was maybe kind of holy for a wee while. And the other kind of teaching that was going around that, well, if the, if, if the person of Jesus really was God, then he couldn't really be human because God would never lure himself to be human. So Jesus, the person, was just like a ghost or an apparition. And see, what they're actually doing there is they're being really clever because they're not straight up saying, don't believe in Jesus, that guy's a fraud, or that's, you're a fool. They're actually saying, Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus too, but maybe, have you ever considered that Jesus was actually like this? Or, oh, you believe in Jesus? Me too, that's really cool. Did you know that Jesus was actually like this? I heard somebody put it this way, and I thought it was great. They said, they weren't rejecting Jesus, they were reimagining Jesus. And we need to be really careful about that. This is the most effective way of leading people astray. And last week we talked about the Garden of Eden. And if you're, I'm sorry if you're not familiar with this story, uh, but you can read it in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, but, but what Satan did in the Garden of Eden with Eve, first of all, and then Adam, with Eve, uh, he, he didn't say, don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. That's mumbo jumbo. No, he said, oh yeah, God. But are you sure he said that? Because I think he said this. Are you sure he didn't actually say this? And it's so subtle, this reimagining of Jesus. And it happens to us all the time. It happens all around us. And here's the challenge. We need to be really careful about this. I want to ask you, what are the voices you listen to the most about Jesus? What are the voices you listen to most about Jesus? Is it social media? Is it the books you read? Is it your friends? Does it come from within? Is it your family? Is it actually what wider society says? Or is it the Bible? Is it the word of God? Here's the challenge for us this morning. Is what you believe about Jesus based on what the Bible says? Because nothing else is reliable. It's the only thing that's unchanging. It's the only thing that is always true. Nothing else is true. So what are the voices that you're listening to about Jesus? You know, sometimes I, sometimes I think that we have, we have like parts of our faith or things that we, we go, oh yeah, um, uh, this, is, this, is what, this is what Christianity says about this. And you've never actually tested it with the Bible. You go, oh yeah, this, this must be true. And then you read the Bible and you're like, oh, maybe that's not in there. So that's my challenge. Who are the voices that you're listening to about Jesus? Because it's only in here that the truth about Jesus is told. Even what I'm saying, go away and test that. Go away and read this thing. And I'm not saying I'm deceiving you. I'm really not. <laughs> to the best of my ability, I'm trying to be faithful to, to this book. But the only thing that's true is the word of God. The only thing that's completely and everlasting true is the word of God. And the scary thing is what John says about these people that deny Jesus John's saying that if you're going to deny that Jesus is the Son of God, then you have no part with the Father. If you're going to reimagine Jesus as anything other than the divine Son of God, fully God, fully man, then you have no relationship with the Father. If you're going to deny these things and claim to be a Christian, then you're a false teacher and an antichrist. Wow. 
That escalated quickly. Look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. This is a point that, Jesus, uh, that John emphasizes over and over and over again. And we've talked about it loads and we're only in the third, uh, third uh, part of this series. This is his point. Jesus is the Son of God. My friend Jesus that I spent all those days and nights with, we hung out with, I saw him do miracles, we went for dinner, we went to friend's house. My friend Jesus, he's the son of God. And if you deny that, you're denying God the Father too. Because Jesus is one with the Father. Here's the point, the point that John's making is if you miss out on who Jesus is, you miss, on, you miss out on who God is as well. If you miss out on who Jesus is, you miss out on who God is. Because you're diminishing the person and work of Christ. You're diminishing his atonement. You're diminishing the cross. It's the core of Christianity. And if you get the core wrong, you're going to get everything wrong. That's why we spend so much time reading this. Uh, we sing, we sing truths. We read truths, we preach truths, we practice truths because everything else is not true. We need to know who Jesus is. And why is this so important? It's so important not because, not because uh, Jesus is the most important thing about the gospel, but because Jesus is the gospel. And if you've mixed up who Jesus is, then you've, you don't have the gospel at all. These false teachers, they deny, deceive, and depart, and we need to be really careful. Now, don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. We're going to, because he doesn't stop with like warning, he comes in and he gives them affirmation. John says, listen, I love you like my children. You're my children. I love you, and I need you to know that you're living in the last hour. Time's drawn to a close. Soon, the curtain's going to come down on the, on the final act. Jesus is coming back soon. And how do we know this? We know this because these false teachers are coming up. And, and, and you can recognize them because they depart and deny and deceive. But then, if these are the times we're living in, which we are, then how are we to live in these times? Well, lucky for us, John speaks into this too. He gives us three indicators of real and true belief in Jesus. Three vital signs of true Christians. Signs that the life of Christ is really present. And just like the distinctives of the Antichrist, there's three distinctives in here about the, that he gives Christians. Christians are anointed, Christians abide, and Christians have eternal life. Don't worry if you didn't get those three, because we're going to go through them one by one. Um, I, saw, I said this last week. Uh, basically, uh, every sermon here so far, I've had a reference to either space or a space movie, and we're going to go back there again. Uh, you better get used to it. <laughs> Love me some space. Um, saw First Man, the film about Neil Armstrong. And, um, oh, so good. It's so good. Anyway, one of, the, one of the most striking things that I took away from it is uh, how long they spent preparing to go to the moon, right? They spent so long just in pre preparation for it. Um, and one of the reasons they do that is because Humans aren't designed to exist in space. Like, you can't just decide, I'm going to go to the moon, I'm going to go to the moon, and be like this in my jeans and shirt on the moon, and you'll be fine. No, it's a hostile environment. Space is a hostile environment, and you need to spend a long time preparing to exist in a hostile environment. Right? It's hazardous. Now, presumably, 
None of you have ever been to space. If you have, I'll be really annoyed. Um, slash jealous. Slash want to hang out with you all the time. But you've probably all been in situations where you're going into a hazardous situation and you receive instructions on how to do that. So I was thinking, what are some of the ways? Like, mine are so feeble compared to like an astronaut. Um, I was like, oh, well, I've been paintballing and they give you like a wee instruction like thing and how to not get shot in the eye. Or um, I've done go-karting where they, you watch the wee video of how to be safe in a go-kart. But then I was thinking, probably one of the most common ones is like, if you've ever been in a flight, right? You get on the flight and they give you all the instructions. This is how to exist in this environment. This is what you should do if this should happen. This is how you're going to survive. I mean, I mean nobody listens, obviously. I, they must know that nobody listens. But nobody listens. But they do give you instructions on how to exist in this hazard environment. And so the point is that if we're going to survive a hazardous environment, if we're going to survive in a time and place where there's dangers, we need to prepare. We need to know how to do that. And that's what John then gives us in this passage. He's pointed out all the dangers. He's, he's pointed out these false teachers. He's pointed out what it's going to be like in these last hours. And then he says, here's how you're going to get through this. Here's how you're going to navigate this. And the first thing he teaches them, that Christians are anointed. Ow, I was sore. Read verses 20 and 21. Christians are anointed. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. What does he mean by anointed by the Holy One? What we need to notice about John is this is one of John's ways to talk about Jesus because it literally is the meaning for Christ, right? So by doing that, even in that subtle way, he's saying that Jesus, my friend, is the Christ, is the chosen one. The word Christ literally means chosen, or it literally means anointed one. And so John will say the anointed one. He talks about Jesus, a way of affirming Jesus' daddy. Isn't that cool? I think that's just a little side point. But he's saying, Christians have been anointed by Jesus himself. We've been anointed by God, the Son made flesh. You and me, if you're a Christian, we've been anointed. And that's a pretty good start. But what does the anointing mean? What what does being being anointed mean? Well, being anointed is this old, old word. um, It literally means that you'd have something poured on you, right? So um, it would usually be oil or perfume. So a good example from the Old Testament is when... Um, the prophet Samuel comes to uh, Jesse's house. Jesse's a, a farmer, a shepherd, and he has all these sons, goes through all the sons, uh, comes to David, who's a wee boy, and God says, that's the guy. He's going to be king of Israel, and uh, Samuel anoints him. So he would literally have poured oil on his head, be all running down him, that kind of thing. And what anointing means is it's anointing, it shows an outward sign of an inward transformation. Because David's life from that point just completely changed. It had to. There was nothing else that could happen. And the blessing, the the, the oil represents the blessing, the outward outward sign of an inward transformation, an inward blessing. And this is what John is saying here. He's saying that Jesus himself, we've been anointed by the Holy One. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We have uh, been anointed. We have an inward transformation. We have the Holy Spirit transforming and empowering us from within. Our anointing isn't necessarily visible. It's an inward anointing. 
This is what John is saying. The Holy Spirit is what drives us, it's what guides us, it's what empowers us. The anointing of the Holy Spirit that we receive from Jesus when we first believe is what empowers us to live Christian lives. In fact, the Holy Spirit at work in us is, is the only reason we have any desire to live Christian lives at all. So any hint of you going, I think I should live a Christian life in whatever way that might entail for you, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. That's not of your desire. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. And one of the ways that John says, uh, how do we know that we have this anointing of the Holy Spirit? And John tells us, because we know the truth. He says, these are difficult days with lots of false teaching about, uh, uh, lots of false teaching going around about Jesus. And I'm not writing to you because I'm afraid that you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you to assure you that you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit and therefore you do know the truth. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit and you have the truth. And this is the very thing that's going to navigate you through these last days. It's going to navigate through all the false teaching. That's the thing that's going to guide you when someone's saying, oh, you like Jesus, me too. But have you heard this about Jesus? The Holy Spirit in you is the one that's going to say, wrong, false. I need to be careful about that. I need to guard my heart. John refers to Jesus teaching a lot. I love this. I just, when, you, when you go through this letter, you just get this beautiful picture of how close they actually were in the friendship. And so sometimes you just repeat stuff that Jesus said, which is exactly what Jesus told him to do. And I love it. Um, and so he does this here. Um, let's look at John uh, 16 for a second. Uh, John 16 and verse 13. This is Jesus teaching again about the Holy Spirit. It'll be on the screen. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, that is the Holy Spirit, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, will, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is our encouragement. This is our empowerment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he now lives in you and guides you into all truth. He guides you in the truth. So if you really believe if this is you this morning, if you believe that, that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the anointed one, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if you believe that he's the only way that I can be forgiven, he's the only way that I can be free to live a life of worship that I was created to live, then be encouraged because it means that you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit with the, with, with the anointed one. You've been anointed by Jesus with the Holy Spirit and he's going to guard you and hold you in Christ until the end. Amen. You can't deviate from the truth because the Holy Spirit's holding you and guarding you and leading you in the truth. Isn't that incredible? This idea that, that you are his and he is yours. And he's going to keep you now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day until the very end. Praise the Lord. And that's one vital sign that he gives us today, that we're anointed. But then he says, hey, you're, 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 you're living in these difficult days, the false teachings all around. You already have the truth because you're anointed by the Holy Spirit, but you need to abide. Christians abide. Look at verses 24 to 27 with me. 
Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you uh, about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is truth, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, there's a lot going on there. It's really good. There's two parts to it. Firstly, uh, we as Christians, abide, uh, something abides in us, and then we abide in something, right? So we need to figure out what this word abide means, because it appears quite a lot in those couple of verses. Um, one of my favorite Christian songs is the old hymn, Abide With Me. I don't know if you know it. Um, I learned it a lot from seeing Man United win the FA Cup so many times. Um, if you didn't get it, they sing that song at the FA Cup final every year. Um, and Man United have won it a lot. So um, Every time. <laughs> Football and space, that's what you're going to hear from me. Um, but, but that hymn encapsulates what this word means perfectly. It has this idea of, of remaining with, staying with, never leaving. It literally means, in the Greek, it literally means not to depart. Do not depart. He's literally telling them the opposite of what the false teachers are telling them. They're departing, and he's saying, don't depart. And you know what he says? He says, if you're, if you're going to navigate these difficult times then we need to let what you've heard from the beginning abide in us. In other words, let the gospel of Jesus abide in you. Don't let the gospel depart from you. Let the gospel remain in you. Let the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you just stay with you, remain in you. Because the gospel of Jesus is our only hope. It's our only truth. And we apply it to every situation, every circumstance, every problem, every piece of false teaching that we hear. We abide in the gospel. We, we, we apply the gospel. We were talking about this the other night at MC, when our MC got together for dinner. Um, imagine, imagine if you weren't a Christian. So imagine if you're not a Christian and someone you love gets really sick. Um, how are you, what, what encouragement are you going to give them? I'm not a Christian. They're not a Christian. What encouragement are you going to say to them? It's, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out just fine. How, do you, how would you know? How could you say that? How, how could you say? But you know what we can do in the gospel? We can say, look, this is really terrible. I don't know if this is going to work out okay. But I do know that Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven for you so that it doesn't matter what happens in the last life because we're going to live forever. That's our only hope. And that's why John said, in this, don't listen to the false teaching. Let the gospel abide in you. So when you hear false teaching about Jesus, let the gospel abide in you. When your friends tell you you're a weirdo for believing in Jesus, let the gospel abide in you. When your partner seems to be indifferent about what you believe, let the gospel abide in you. When society makes it really hard to be a Christian, let the gospel abide in you. Um, I just, I, I got a new hero this week. Um, this young woman called, uh, you might have heard of her in the media, Leah Sharabu. She's a 15-year-old Nigerian girl. Um, and she was abducted by Boko Haram. And uh, uh, they, were, they were threatening to kill her. And this went on for a long time if she didn't convert to Islam. By the way, I'm not saying, I'm not commenting on Islam. 
I think Boko Haram are something terrible and evil and off the charts and most Muslims wouldn't even associate themselves with that. But these people were saying, if you don't reject Jesus, if you don't deny Jesus, we're going to kill you. Day after day after day, this happened to her. And you know what her response was? This is what they said. This is what she said every time they said this. Her, her, only, her only defense was, I am a Christian. That's what she said. She said, I am a Christian. What do you want me to do? I'm a Christian. You want me to deny? I'm a Christian. You want me to convert? I'm a Christian. And why, how was she able to do that? Because she was anointed by the Holy Spirit and she let the gospel of Jesus abide in her. Isn't that powerful? That wee girl is my hero. Uh, thankfully, she's been, res- she's been released and rescued. I really hope that she goes on to tell that story around the world. And look at what the result is. Look at what the, uh, look at what the result is if, if we let the gospel abide in us. John says, we will abide in the Son and the Father. This is the two sides to it. We let the gospel abide in us, and therefore we abide in the Son and in the Father. The gospel gives us this assurance that we remain in him. We don't depart from him. Abiding in God means being attached to God. It means, it means uh, receiving from him. John Piper says this way, abiding is trusting in Jesus, remaining in fellowship with Jesus, connecting to Jesus, so that all that God is for us in him is flowing like a life-giving sap into our lives. Man, I wish I could talk like that. (laughs) Abiding is believing, it's trusting, it's savoring, it's resting, it's receiving. In other words, abiding is allowing God to be everything to you. And you know how we do that? By not letting the gospel depart from us. Look at verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, John's not saying that we don't need anyone to teach us. That's not what he's saying at all, because he's teaching them when he says that, so that'd be pretty ironic. In the same sentence he's saying, don't anyone teach you, he'd be saying, I'm teaching you. But what he is saying is that we've received the Holy Spirit. We've received the Spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us and guides us into the truth of the gospel. So we have everything we need within us to discern what is true teaching and what is false teaching. We have everything within us that we need to equip us to live a godly life. We have everything that we need within us to live a life of worship, to live a life of service, to live a life of caring for the poor, to do all those things we talked about last week as we seek to to walk in the light as Jesus walked in the light. The Holy Spirit is within us and equips us with everything that we need. So abide in him. This is how we navigate these last days. We're anointed with the Holy Spirit and we don't let the gospel depart from us. We remain in Jesus. And the third characteristic then is that we have eternal life. This is the result of this. Read verse 25. And this is the promise he made to us. This is the promise Jesus made to us. Eternal life. Eternal life. I think sometimes that we read uh, the words eternal life in the Bible and it just kind of washes over us, doesn't it? Um, I think it's really hard for us to divorce it from that idea of, of time, our passage of time. So we just think that eternal life is just life that goes on for a really, 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 really long time. So we say things like, um, 
you know, and like when when I've been a new creation for like a billion years, uh, I'm going to have learned every language on earth. And you're like, well, it doesn't really like that. Like, I don't think that there's going to be a billion years to pass. We think that eternal life is, is just something that's in the future, something that is, starts in the future and goes on uh, for a really, really long time. But that's not what's happening here. These words, eternal life, have a meaning in, in the Greek that doesn't, our English translation doesn't really grasp. So we need to work hard. The Greek word that John actually uses here isn't just about quantity, it's about quality, Right? It's not really about years at all. It's, it's life independent of time. Just like we saw how God is, is outside of the passage of time, this life that we receive in Jesus is outside of the passage of time. So for us as Christians, it's not something we have to wait for. We're not waiting for our eternal life to start down the road when we die. Our eternal life starts the minute we receive Jesus. You are living, if you're a Christian, you're living eternal life now. It's not something you have to wait for. Eternal life is our current possession in Jesus. Isn't that a really cool thing? So what that means, that means that we have been able to somehow step outside of all the things, all the things that are going to pass away, all the things that the world tells us are important. You need to have lots of money. You need to have, you need to have a nice car. You need, to, um, you need to be in a stable, long-term relationship. You need to do all these kinds of things. All those things, all the politics, we can see them for what they are, which is they're very temporary in the last act of the play of God, if you like. We can step outside of that. We live in this reality that doesn't have an end. Our reality doesn't have an end. When we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and by his grace, life begins to take on new meaning. So life begins to feel a bit more like heaven and a bit less like hell. So we can face suffering, we can face sickness, we can face work tomorrow and the next day and the next day, knowing that those things aren't ultimate things. We can go on holiday, we can have Christmas, we can do all these things, but we know that those things, even though they might be good things, aren't ultimate things. They just point to something much bigger. And so I want to finish with this question. That's a question I've been asking myself this week. Are you living eternal life right now? Are you living eternal life right now? John 17, uh, in John 17, Jesus is praying. And he's praying for Christians. And he says this, he says, uh, and this eternal life that they, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what he prays for us. He prays that we would have this eternal life, that, they would, that we would know God, that the only true God, that, uh, that we would know Jesus Christ whom God has sent. This is what it means to have eternal life. This is the life that we have now in Jesus. Life, we know, listen, we know the only true God. You know what I was thinking last night? Uh, last night we were uh, doing our, uh, we had like a prayer time and we, like John was playing songs and, and eventually it got to the point where there was more people sitting around the room praying together and there was just a chatter going around the room and, and there was like three people singing, but that's cool, that was great. And then I was thinking about this thing. We kind of go into these prayer times. We come into Sunday morning, we come into our MCs and we go, oh, yeah, Lord, speak to us. You know, isn't that great? Lord, please speak to us. But we forget that actually God wants to speak to us. And so last night what happened was um, God spoke to us. Bunch of losers. 
bunch of misfit guys. And God decides, you know what? I do want to speak to you. Of course I do. I want to tell you things about your life and about me. And I want to show you where you're going wrong. And I want to encourage you where you're feeling down. I want to, I want to pick you up where you, where you need picked up. And that's what happened. Like, imagine that. We know the true God. We know the almighty God. And he speaks to us. That's what it means to have eternal life now. And just like any other relationship, it gets deeper and sweeter the longer you have it. There's people in this room that will tell you that. Been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, much longer than me. And they'll say it gets deeper and sweeter the longer you have it. And this is ultimately how we are to navigate and live in these last times, by living the eternal life now. By living what really matters, by seeing this life for what it really is. In Jesus, through the Holy Spirit working in us, we know that soon all this will disappear, all this will pass away. It will be renewed and restored and only true life in Jesus is going to go on. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate this, right? Through taking this meal of, of bread and wine together. Because for us, to have this eternal life, there was a cost. It cost Jesus his life. God, God, God didn't take on flesh just so he could live a perfect example, although he did that. He took on flesh so that he could give up his flesh, so that he could have it broken, lacerated back, howls through his hands, spikes to a wooden cross, crown of thorns, blood running down his face, people pulling his beard out, spitting on him, beating him with their fists and sticks. That's what it cost. So we take the bread because it represents Jesus' body literally broken. Literally broken. You know what the Bible says? He said, all my bones are out of joint. Can you imagine that? I've had a dislocated shoulder playing rugby once and that was excruciating. Imagine all my bones are out of joint. And this is what we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate and we're going to reflect on that. And we're going to celebrate the fact that we have eternal life right now because Jesus gave up his life for us. And if you believe that, then you're invited to come and take this meal. If you, can I just say this? If you, I say this every week and I don't know where all of you are at and all that kind of stuff. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, then can I just invite you to do that now? Because... It's, I sound really old school and really Bible bashing and pulpit thumping and all that kind of stuff, but, but we are living in the last days. <laughs> like time isn't going to go on forever. And the fact is that nobody knows when Jesus is going to come back. And I just want to encourage you, the fact that you're in this room this morning means that God is doing something in your life. You've heard the gospel. You're hearing literally the message that brings new life. So... Maybe it's time to stop running away from him and just turn around and, 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 uh, and, and say, yep, Jesus, you are Lord. Maybe you're a Christian and you need to do that. Maybe, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You need to stop and turn around and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've been running away for a long time. You can experience eternal life by believing in Jesus and abiding in him, allowing his gospel to abide in you. Receiving that anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's the only way we're going to navigate these last days. John's going to come back up now. Um, while he's doing that, I'm going to pray. Um, and Joe and Rich, they're going to come and they're going to serve us all this meal. 
So come up and break a piece of bread off and dip it in the wine. And, and as you do this, when you rip the bread, imagine his body ripped apart for you. And then celebrate that he didn't stay dead, that he defeated that, and he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he's there bearing your scars in heaven right now. So come to the table, let's come together. It's not an individual thing, it's called communion, because we do it together, there's a common purpose in it. Come together, let Joe and Rachel speak those words over you, uh, hear that, and we'll celebrate his death and resurrection. Father God, um, Lord, we want to be faithful to what your word tells us. We want to be, uh, we, we know that it's the word of God. We believe it's the word of God and, and we want to be faithful in what you're saying to us. We want to receive it. Uh, Lord, I just pray for any of us in this room uh, like, like me who, who have pride and, and their pride bristles at stuff when, when, they, when we hear that we might be denying who you are or any of that stuff. Lord, I pray that you would uh, soften our hearts. We just pray this morning that and we use all this funny language, don't we? But I don't know any other way to describe it, Father. We use funny language like, we just receive you this morning, soften our hearts. But Lord, that's what we do pray for. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you once again. Lord, we believe that you want to speak to your people. We believe that you're invested in the lives of your people. We believe that you've moved us from death to life. We believe that you've moved us to, to a mortal life, to eternal life. Father, I pray that as we come to the table and receive this bread and wine this morning, that it would take on a fresh meaning that would empower us to go out, out of this building, out of this room, to live lives worthy of that calling, to live lives to tell the world that Jesus is coming back soon, to be ready for our master's return. Lord, we love you. We need you. We can't do this on our own. Please, Lord, don't let your gospel depart from us. We need you. We love you, Lord.